After these things, John says, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. Very interesting that standing open is in the perfect tense. The perfect tense indicates that that door was opened at some point in the past and it's still open. I would take the point of opening the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ. The work of Christ on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection opened the door for us to enter into the presence of God. So a door standing open. When Jesus said it is finished in John 19, 30, his work on the cross was done. The penalty for sin was paid. The way into heaven was open. It won't be closed until time's done. So the door was open in heaven. The first voice that I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me. That takes us back to chapter one, saying, come up here. You remember the passage I just quoted in 1 Thessalonians 4? The Lord will descend with a shout. What do you think his shout is going to be? I think it's going to be, come up here. Come up here and I will show you things which must, must take place. Again, we have the phrase after this, after these things. A little bit of emphasis there. Immediately, John says, I was in the spirit and behold, a throne set in heaven and one who sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius. A jasper and a sardius. What color are jasper and sardius? Jasper is clear, sardius is red. So what John sees is an image sitting on the throne, but he doesn't see the clear outlines, face, characteristics. He says there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. What does the rainbow remind us of? Remember at the flood, it was a promise of peace. So I would take this as a symbol of peace. A rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald is very interesting. If you remember the old, uh, what was the old movie, The Wizard of Oz? And the city looked like an emerald, didn't it? All green and glowing. Uh, it's very interesting from verse three on, what we're actually seeing is something very similar to what Daniel saw in Daniel chapter seven, verses four through 13. You remember he saw the Ancient of Days sitting on the throne, and then he saw the Ancient of Days being approached by one like the Son of Man. So very, very similar. And again, the connections between Revelation and the Old Testament are everywhere. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed with white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. Lots of argument, who are the 24 elders? A lot of people think they're angels. I'm convinced they're not because of what we see in the context of the text. Uh, I think the 24 elders probably represent the church, and probably we could look at them as maybe some of the greats that come out of the church age. Maybe say the great ones, the heroes, um, the ones who excelled uh, during the church age, but they represent the church as a whole. 24 elders sitting, and they've got the white robes. Of course, white robes, picture of the righteousness of Christ. They had crowns of gold on their head. We know in the New Testament there are five different crowns that are promised to the overcomer. Those who overcome are promised a reward. And at the judgment seat of Christ, as our lives are evaluated by the Lord Jesus Christ, there are those that are going to receive the reward of a crown. So here we have crowns of gold on their head. By the way, the word crown is Stephanos, and it spoke of the victor's crown. So this, again, relates back to the overcomers. From the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. Wouldn't you like to know what they said? In chapter 10, verses 3 and 4, John says the thunder spoke again, and he was going to write down as a part of this book what the thunder said, and he was told not to write. Isn't it interesting? I don't know about you, but I've heard sermons on what the seven thunders said. The truth is we don't know. He didn't tell us. We might be better off for not knowing. <laughs> we were not allowed to know at this point. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Why the seven spirits of God? Isaiah 11 verse 1 says, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. It's interesting that the Lord Jesus Christ is referred to both as the root and the offspring of David. As God, he is the root of David. As man, he's the offspring. So we have the deity and humanity of Christ pictured there. 
Verse 2 says, The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. I think all of these are simply expressing the character of the Holy Spirit, the, the, the wisdom of the Spirit, the understanding of the Spirit, counsel, might, all of those things. So I take this to be the seven spirits of God. Verse 6 says, Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. What does that mean? I don't know. It's a sea of glass like crystal. Obviously, it would imply purity. Uh, later on in the book, the sea is used as a picture of the nations. The multitudes of the nations could represent the multitudes of those who have been purified standing before the Lord. That would be the closest that I could give you. But sea of glass like crystal in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. Very interesting. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature was like a calf. The third living creature had the face of a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. Anyone remember these occurring or appearing anywhere else? Go back to Ezekiel chapter 1. Very interesting, though, they're not described in exactly the same way. But they are described as a lion, a calf, a man, and an eagle. Why is that? Well, <clears throat> one suggestion that's been presented, these four represent the story of the life of Christ. You think about it, the Gospel of Matthew presents Christ how? King of Israel, symbol as the lion, Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah. The Gospel of Luke presents him as the calf, or actually would be ox. Ezekiel has it as ox, the ox being a symbol of what? Servant. It's interesting that the key word of the Gospel of Luke is immediately. It's a word that was specifically used of an obedient servant. Some, sorry, Mark. Yes, sorry, Mark. Um, and sometimes it's translated straightway, uh, immediately. Uh, that is used in the Gospel of Mark. Luke, of course, places his emphasis on the humanity of Christ. Uh, Luke is a very human gospel, uh, and it deals a lot with his interactions with the down-and-out people. Uh, one of the reasons that many people, uh, I don't know if you remember a guy by the name of Brennan Manning. Uh, Brennan Manning wrote a book called the Ragamuffin. Ragamuffin Gospel. Thank you. And the emphasis on it was from Luke because it was Jesus dealing with ragamuffin-type people. So the humanity of Christ and then, of course, the eagle, flying eagle, a picture of the Gospel of John, the deity of Christ. Just a possibility, something to think about. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. The emphasis on eyes, I believe, has to do with divine intelligence, supernatural intelligence. What do our eyes do? Our eyes tell us. That's, that's how we gather information. They do not rest day or night saying, holy, holy, holy. Where have we met these before? Isaiah. Isaiah 6.3. Holy, holy, holy. Why holy, holy three times? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Who's that the emphasis of? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9 says, Whenever the living creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne. I've run into a lot of believers who say, I'm not interested in eternal rewards. I don't care whether I get a crown or not. I'll just be happy to be there. We need to understand that the winning of the crown is not for us. It's not for our credit. It's for His glory. Any reward that any of us gain, and every one of us has the opportunity to win eternal reward, everything from, as Jesus said, giving a thirsty child a cup of cold water in His name. Isn't it amazing that God provides us eternal life as a free gift? There's nothing we can do for it. We can't earn it, we can't deserve it, we can only receive it by faith. And then, as if that's not enough, He offers us the opportunity to live lives of faith and obedience so that we are, as He said in Matthew 6:20, laying up treasure in heaven. And what's the value of all that? 
All of it is going to speak to the glory of Christ. It's in honor of what he's done for us. It's a way of expressing, if you will, our gratitude for his sacrifice and our so great salvation. So they cast their crowns before the throne. I wonder how it would feel to stand before the throne and have nothing to cast. Be kind of disappointing, wouldn't it? Verse 11 saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Now, bear in mind who's sitting on the throne. God the Father, right? We're about to see the Lord Jesus come into the picture. So God the Father is sitting on the throne, and to God the Father, glory, honor, and power, for you created all things. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, Bereshith barai Elohim et Hashemayim et Haaretz. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? What does John tell us at the beginning of his gospel? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then down in verse 3, all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So who created, the Father or the Son? The answer is yes, both. They work together, right? In the Proverbs, you'll remember when it talks about the divine Word, the Logos, I was daily with him and daily his delight in the creation of the world. And then later in uh, Proverbs 30, the question is asked, what is God's name? Do you know it? And what is his son's name? That's a very interesting question. You have to wonder how many ancient Hebrews pondered on that and wondered, what does this mean? And of course, if they pondered long enough and searched the Old Testament scriptures enough, they would know.